Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. I should probably take one last look at that clock. Okay, 10.28. <laughs> you know what preachers do, right? When you see a preacher do this, by the way, I have a brand new watch that won't respond. And that's the last time he looks at that. You must know that, okay? I'm not that way. So, we have an invitation this morning from John the Beloved. And he asks a question in our scripture What matter of love is this? He said, be, be, Beloved. Let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Let's go back to that first scripture, bud. Should be 1 John 4, 7 to 10. Alrighty. May I apologize? It's not Noah, it's me. Do 1 John 3, 1. Can you do that in real time? I've memorized it. Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished upon us, that we should be called the children of God. The reason the world doesn't know us is because it doesn't know him. We have not yet been made perfect in this world, but when he appears, we will be perfected. Therefore, because you have this hope, purify yourself. And I see an invitation there from the, in the word behold. And, and I want to explain what that word means to you. It means so much more than look and see. Well, I don't know if you have this expression over here in America, just looking. Do you do that when you're in a store and somebody will walk up to you in a store and say, can I help you? And you say, just looking. And so that now they know the arrangement. Like They'll back off because they're just glad to back off and you're, you're happy to walk around with, with some peace. But you're just looking. This word behold, let me tell you what it means from the, from the Greek. Make a moral assessment of value and worth. Okay, so John the Beloved isn't saying to us, have a just-looking experience. He isn't saying, just see. I mean, I might say to you, see my new watch. You don't have to make a moral assessment about its value and its worth, do you? You just will forget within seconds. I want us to understand the, the strength in this word behold and what we're instructed and invited to do. When John the Baptist saw Jesus walking towards him, on the shores of the River Jordan, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What he was saying was, look at this Jesus and make a moral assessment about his value and his worth. He wasn't inviting you to just look and see. And it's really important to us, folks, that when we ask, uh, when we answer John the Beloved's question, what manner of love is this? Actually, in one of the versions I was reading, it says, Behold, what manner of love is this? And what John the Beloved is saying is, Make a moral assessment of its value and its worth. Don't approach it with this just looking like you're in a store. It's non-committal. I'll be left alone. You don't do that with Jesus, do you? You don't do that with Jesus. All right, let's answer John the Beloved's question. What manner of love is this? 1 John 4, 7. I didn't even give you my main scripture, did I? 1 John 4, 7 to 10. What manner of love is this? Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this the love of God was manifest towards us that God had sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So John the Baptist gives us an invitation this morning to look and make a moral evaluation of its worth. You can't be non-committal. You can't be undecided. You can't be anonymous. You can't be hiding on the back row. You have to make a decision about the moral 
worth and value of our Lord Jesus and the love that he pours out upon us. You know, statistics show that not all Christians who make a commitment to the Lord actually maintain that walk and that commitment. I was thinking this through because you can be authentically saved. I remember hearing a preacher say about me, and he didn't know I was in the room. He said, that man is authentically saved. <laughs> I thought, is that different from another kind of saved? But I'm just glad I was authentically saved, you know. And so I went home and looked up authentically. I said, yes, I'll grab that. I'll be, I'll be authentically saved. But you see, I got saved according to the invitation of John the Baptist. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth. You see, I didn't get a just-looking invitation. I didn't get a look-and-see invitation. I heard the gospel that Jesus hung on a cross for Dean personally, and I was to make a moral evaluation of his estimate, a moral estimate of his value and worth. And in that moment, I said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away Dean's sins from the earth. That's what I said. And we have to question why the... There's an old saying that if you keep a newborn Christian for the first year, you've probably got them for their life. But the reality is that some folks fall away. I wonder if they had a just-looking experience. That somehow we preached a secondary gospel. That rather than preach the behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth, we preached something else. And then we find out in time that actually they had a just-looking experience. Now, John the Baptist, what an amazing ministry he had. And the Lord showed me this week, and I was like, you know what? Those, we should have that behold in us. I want to ask you this morning, do you have the behold in you? Right? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth. Do you have the behold in you? John the Baptist's ministry was one of identification, one of invitation, and one of introduction. One of introduction and one of invitation. That's what he said. My ministry is about identifying the Lamb of God. My ministry is about saying, repent because the kingdom of God is near. My ministry, said John the Baptist, is about introducing you to the Lamb of God and giving you an invitation in your life to make a, a smooth pathway, a smooth plane for him to come into your heart, right? He said that, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I'm a, I'm a voice crying out in the wilderness. Make a plain path for the Lord. He said, take the high places, bring them low. Take the low places, bring them up. And what he was saying is, let's make a smooth plane into, into someone's life for the Lord to come. And I don't think we, we do that when we say, Come and see. Just have a wee look. And just, just say, it's all right. We don't need no commitment. When you join us, you don't need to be grafted into the true vine. You don't need to repent because the kingdom of God is near. You can just assimilate into our community. When did we start doing that? When did being born again with a crisis conversion, I mean, we're Pentecostals, right, Scotty? They teach you that this at seminary. A crisis conversion it, means, it doesn't mean you're having a crisis when you get, doesn't necessarily mean that you're having a crisis when you get saved. The theology means a crisis conversion means that one moment you're in darkness and the next second you're in light. There's your crisis. You come to the Lord recognizing that you need a Savior who loves you perfectly, who has paid the price and invites you to behold Him. Not just looking. I'm just looking. I've been thinking about that seeker-friendly thing. And there's a lot of conversations in the church, isn't it, about seeker-friendly? And just how much like the world can we become to win the world? How's that working for us? Right? We don't need to become like the world to win the world. We become like Christ to win the world. And so we say to folks, I'm telling you, my dear brother, sister, friend, I want you to behold my Jesus who takes away the sins of the earth, because I want you to be authentically saved. There you go, I went in a big circle. I want you to be authentically saved, not just looking, and at some point in the future just fade away. You're a little more than a shooting star. What's that other star that goes? That star, that star that goes up into the sky and shines brightly and then comes down again. We don't want that, do we? 
So, can you answer the question? From John the Beloved. <laughs> I had no idea that John, getting my John the Beloved and my John the Baptist would be such a challenge for my head this morning. What manner of love is this? It's a love that loves first, right? How many of you know that God was loving you long before you were loving him? And aren't, aren't you happy about that? Right? Well then, how many of you know that God's loving your friends and your relatives and your colleagues long before they're loving him? Right? So we agree with God that what manner of love is this? It's a love that loves first. God is initiating. God is always initiating his love in people's lives. The reason Jesus hasn't returned yet is that God's loving up on lots of other folks that he wants to behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the earth. And that's the invitation he gives them. It's a love that pays the price. What? Behold, what manner of love is this? It's a love that loves first. It's a love that pays the price. He is the propitiation for our sins. Did you see what John, the beloved, wrote? He's answering the question for us. It's a, it's a payment. The ultimate payment was made so that we can know the Father heart of God. Let's not make it something else. It's a love that went public. Okay, so... What manner of love is this? It's a love that loves first. It's a love that pays the price. And it's a love that went public for you. Let me say, when Jesus hung on a cross, virtually naked, with the forces of darkness mocking him, with his own people hiding in the bushes someplace, with all of nature turning its face away in embarrassment, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He went public for you. Can't we go public for him? It's, just, it's not just certain genders and types and all those long letters that you can't remember now that can come out of the closet. Isn't it about time that Christians came out of the closet? Right? We've got the most vital, important message in, in the universe. My Father God loves you. You are the object of his affection. God showed me something last week. As you can see, he showed me a lot last week. <laughs> He said, you know two things really well. I said, that's awesome, Lord. He said, there's lots of things you don't know. <laughs> but there are two things that you know really well. And I said, well, it's good to know two things really well. You know? I said, what is that, Lord? He said, you know that I am love, and you know that I am the object of his love. And if there's two things in life that's really, really imperative that you know really well is that God is love, and you are the object of his love. Right? If you know those deep in your heart and the core of your being, you have an eternal perspective. You have a kingdom perspective. God is love, and I am the object of his love. See how that will affect all of your relationships in life? You don't need all of the answers. You don't need to be a master theologian. Scott, he's not a master theologian. But he knows that God is love, and he knows that he's the object of God's love. All righty? Behold what manner of love is this? that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. It's a love that loves first. It's a love that pays the price. It's a love that went public. Ephesians 2, 4 to 7, we're still answering this invitation from John the Baptist. Behold, make a moral assessment of the value and the worth of this love that's been extended to you from heaven. Where there, guys? Alrighty. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised up together and made us sit together in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Who talks about you like that? Seriously? Your husband or your wife or your kids don't talk about you like that. Okay? This is the father of all creation. What kind of love is it? It's a love that's rich in mercy. All right? You can't exhaust the mercies of God. If there's one thing I thank Heavenly Father for is that I can't exhaust his mercies. I try sometimes. I, mean, I really do. And who was it that said, uh, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Aren't you glad 
that if it were possible that you could exhaust God's mercies today, they're brand new tomorrow. Come on, somebody must rejoice about that. Well, why don't you behold and make a moral estimation of the value and the worth of that statement for a start off? Do you know what? I feel like I'm growing tall on the inside. I really do. No, I feel like my chest is puffing out. You know, my daddy loves me. My daddy loves me. I heard Kimberly say that once, one of my little girlies. My heart went into raptures, you can imagine, right? Ruptures and raptures. My daddy loves me. How many of you, this is your gift in life. This is your gift through this life. My daddy loves me. And that's how you walk around. A child of God. He's rich in mercy. He loved us from death to life. You were as dead as a dodo before Jesus came into your life. I'm telling you, you have that saying over here? I've been here 15 years now, and I can't remember what's English or what's American. Uh, Sometimes I really can't. I get a bit mixed up. So... You were as dead as a dodo before the Holy Spirit made the love of the Father real to you in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you, when you were saved, you didn't just change your mind. You didn't just decide, I want to be a better person. You you were miraculously translated out of darkness into light. Colossians 1.13, it's dropped into my spirit there. You were translated out of the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the Son who loves you and gave himself up for you. Aren't you glad that when Jesus came to you, he didn't have a just-looking mentality? He beheld you. Here we go, Scotty, there's a new play on that. He beheld you and said, I'm making a moral estimation of their value and their worth. And I'm going to hang on a cross and go public and pour out my unending mercies all over them, lavished in the love of God. My daddy loves me. And that's, I have to tell you something, I didn't intend to do this, but my father left home when I was five years old, my natural father. He just packed his bags one day and left, and he hasn't come back. Okay? So look at the miraculous that was involved for me. Accepting that my heavenly father loves me with a love that is so rich in mercy that I'll stand and I'll go public for him. Oh, it's a wonderful thing, isn't it? I need to pinch myself. Oh, I think I might have gone a little bit southern there. <laughs> I need to pinch myself. <laughs> okay. It's rich in mercy. He loves us from death to life, and he elevates us from the ground to glory. Okay, There's a future, an eternity that's promised to us. You don't just get to be better in this world. right? He's taking care of your eternity. Lord Jesus, we, we pray for our beloved pastor, Pastor Gill, whose mother went to glory last night. She was promoted to glory. And our heart loves our pastor and his two brothers. What a testimony, Lord, as she entered heaven. This mama raised three boys to love God and to perpetuate that love through the next generation and the generation after that. Part of a godly dynasty. We comfort them, Lord, with the comfort that we have received. And ask for your presence in and around each of their hearts. She's gone to heaven and there's a party waiting for her. You know that the angels rejoice when one person gets saved. Well, by the way, when you graduate to heaven, there's an awesome party waiting. You persevered. You were faithful. You endured. Right? What's the, what the scriptures say, those who endure until the end will be saved. How you finish your race is really important. Not just how you started, but how you finish. And so we, we bless the Dermans, all of them, Lord. We love them, and they're precious to us and precious to the kingdom of God. Comfort, comfort their hearts today. And may they see the celebration dynamic to this. You say, Lord, it's better by far to depart this body and be with Christ. Isn't it? Do you believe it's better by far to depart this body and be with Christ? Well, the Apostle Paul said that. We bless them, Lord, with with the comfort that only the Holy Spirit can offer and give. In Jesus' name, amen. I do hope that was appropriate, friends. What manner of love is this? It's the manner of love that stops you preaching to pray for your friends. Right? Amen.
Romans 8, 35 to 39. What manner of love is this? Behold, make a moral estimation and a value of its worth. You're going to have to pass me that water, Scotty. Okay. Thank you. Now, Jesus said, if you knew who was speaking to you, you'd ask him for living water. And he would give it to you abundantly, welling up inside of you to eternal life. That's not up there, by the way. That was just me in the moment. You, you know when you, you can be led in the moment, you know. <laughs> lavished. Do you know what lavished means? I looked it up. Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished upon us, bestowed, poured out with unceasing measure. What? I've never been loved with unceasing measure before. My wife loves me. My kids love me. I don't know if she loves me with unceasing measure. I think there are definitely times when my wife has to love me with the love of the Lord. And I can tell the difference. I can tell the difference, believe me. Bring that scripture up, Noah. Romans 8, 35. Makes us more than conquerors. Look at this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Show tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. You know, when these scriptures were wrote, it was quite dangerous to be a Christian. Okay. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us and gave himself up for us. What manner of love is this? It's a love that makes us more than conquerors. And I've been asking the Lord, you know, I'd actually like to be a conqueror, right? I mean, would you, be, would you like to be a conqueror? What's more than a conqueror? You know, so I'm, I'm, I've, I've asked the Lord the question. I'd like to conquer. Okay, so I, 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 let's see if John answers this question for us. We are, it's a kind of love that makes us more than conquerors. It helps us to mock death. You're like, what's that about? That's what it says in Ephesians. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh grave, is your sting? Swallowed up by the victory of Jesus. Right? So it's the kind of love that fills our hearts with such a sense of triumph that we're able to look death in the face and say, it's like moving from one room to the next room. <laughs> I suspect the Apostle Paul wrote that better to the Ephesians, right? Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh grave, is your sting? Swallowed up by the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's the kind of love that makes us more than conquerors, helps us to mock death, and makes us inseparable from God. Did you see the long list of persecutions and trials and tribulations that the Apostle Paul knew? He said the love of God was so powerful in his life that he couldn't be separated from it because of Christ. Sorry, I was almost, I was, I'm just trying to sense where I, which direction I go. And two things, I haven't preached for two years. I was hoping it's like getting back on a bike. <laughs> I, I used to ski a lot, you know, I skied when I was about 17, 18, loved skiing. And then I went like 11 years without skiing. And then I was invited to go skiing in Spain on that beautiful mountain they have there. And, uh, and I, I didn't realize until I'd put my skis on, and I'm, 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 on, I'm on the ski lift going up the, up the slope, looking at people whizzing down the slopes, and I'm thinking, I haven't skied in 11 years. And I'm getting higher and higher on this mountain. And of course, I've chosen the, uh, the, high, the, high, the higher one that takes you right to the top. And I'm getting nearer and nearer to the top, and I'm thinking, I've got to get off this ski lift, and I don't know, even know if I can do that, never mind, ski. I haven't skied for 11 years, so I popped off, put my little V on, you know, the V, kind of turned around and whee, about 90 miles an hour all the way down this slope for about three minutes. It, it is, it's like getting back on a bike. It's like, it's like getting back on skis. People were looking at me and saying, that guy is awesome, he must be a professional. I had no control, I had absolutely no control what I was doing. I was like, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die. And I'm doing 90 miles an hour down this slope and people are like, yeah, he's in the Olympics. I'm like, no, I'm in big trouble, I'm in big trouble. <laughs> The love of God makes, it, is in, makes, it, makes us inseparable from Christ. Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called the children of God. You know, God could have redeemed you completely and utterly in all manner of ways 
and not expect you to call him father or not assume this title of father. When I looked at that, I thought, you're God Almighty. You know, you're Elohim, you're El Shaddai, you're Yahweh, Adonai, you're all these wonderful titles of majestic grandeur, but you insist that I call you daddy. And I got to thinking about that. I was like, because I don't always relate with him as my daddy. I don't sometimes choose some of the other titles. And actually, thank you very much. I'm probably more comfortable choosing some of the other titles. You know, great God. You're awesome and you're so powerful. And... But he always brings me back. The one eternal title that the Father chose is that of Father. Jesus said, and it drove the Pharisees crazy, right? The Pharisees were so mad at Jesus. Do you know why they were mad at Jesus? Because he told these religious people that they could call God Father. Not Godfather. (laughs) I mean, he told them that you can call God Father. He said, you've received the spirit of sonship that doesn't make you a slave to fear. You've received a spirit of sonship that enables you to say... Abba, Father. And the word Abba then means Papa. It's like, my daddy loves me from my little Kimbo. Can you, can you, I mean, like if you were God and you were going to redeem these people that might not love you back the way you love them, would you have gone for Father? I mean, I was, I've been asking the Lord about it, you know. I'm on a journey. And then the Father is revealing his Father heart to me all of the time. And it's wonderful. And I'm finding it's the thing that matters the most. Seriously. We can substitute that with all sorts of stuff, you know. But what really matters is that he allows us to call him Father. It infuriated the Pharisees, and it still does. I was in a church once where the lady was praying, and she was saying, Daddy God. And that's the first time I'd heard that. I'd been to Toronto as well, the airport church where that revival was. And I heard her, and she was like, Daddy God, and Daddy God this, and I love you, Daddy God. And I was like, excuse me, I worship El Shaddai. You know, I worship God Almighty. I worship the one of whom it says it's a dreadful and fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God because he's an all-consuming fire. And she's like, Daddy God, and bless them, Daddy God. (laughs) And there was somebody else in the group, and that person said to the pastor, Pastor, she was calling calling, um, God, Daddy God. And he said, that's a wonderful thing. That's exactly what Jesus purchased for you on the cross. privilege, the privilege of calling Almighty God, who breathes universes into place for fun. You know, like he spoke the universe into being, right? Just like we can speak things into being. He spoke the universe into being and lets us call him Daddy. I mean, seriously, that should bring joy to your heart, right? I was looking... A few weeks ago, and I saw a book, I Dared to Call Him Daddy. I Dared to Call Him Father. It was by a Muslim lady that had left Islam because the longing of her heart was to be reconciled to a living heavenly father. Through a sequence of events, she was reconciled to him, and she wrote the book, I Dared to Call Him Father. Isn't that good news today? Isn't it great news? We don't have to be terrified that we're coming to an all-consuming fire. We have to revere our our God because he's holy. You only have to look through the Old Testament to see what happened to people when they did it the wrong way. You know, like the the ground opening up and swallowing you and little things like that. You know, fire falling from heaven because your offering's not acceptable. You know, would you like to have been alive in the Old Testament? (laughs) It's different, right? We're alive in the New Covenant. But Jesus has hung on a cross and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I dared to call him Father. And the world will want you to call him all sorts of things. Lavished, poured out. Let's look at this. Let's answer John's invitation again. Behold, what manner of love is this? It's the love that makes us a child of God. Four reasons we are redeemed as children of God, and not something else, by the way. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, 
God could have redeemed you in all sorts of ways and still had you saved, but just not a child of God. He could have redeemed you as a servant, right? He could have redeemed you as a subject. I mean, he's a king after all. I come from a country where we have kings. But here's the thing, right? I've thought about this. If, if the natural king passed me in the road in London, I can't just jump in his car and say, give me a ride. You know, or I can't just knock on the door of Buckingham Palace and say, uh, you're the king and I'm your subject. Can I stay the night in one of these 400 bedrooms that you're not using? <laughs> God did not have to redeem us as children, but the thing is, he made us as children, you see. Right back in the beginning, God said, let us make man in our image. Let's make them male and female. By the way, he had to make them male and female to represent the fullness of who God is. It took me a long time to see that. Man, I've been a stubborn kid along the way. I tell you, why, why, did he, why does he call us child? He could have called us servant. He could have called us subject. He could have redeemed us as slaves. Right? He could have saved us and redeemed us as slaves. Just, I'm God and here's my slaves. No. We didn't receive the spirit that makes us subject to slavery, that makes us slaves again to fear. We received the spirit of sonship that enables us to say, Abba, Father. Daddy God, my daddy loves me. So he redeems us as children. That's the relationship he wants for us. Why? Here we go then. <laughs> there are four, four reasons that I, I asked the Lord about. The fourth one was really hard because I made a, a rod for my own back because the first three began with A, and so I insisted that the fourth one began with A. So I don't know where I picked that up. So forgive me. <laughs> okay. Four of the reasons that he redeems us as children and not servants, subjects, or slaves. And by the way, some of us are actually more comfortable with one of those relationships at times. Seriously. So we, you can have a slave mentality with God. You can have a servant mentality. You can have a subject mentality. What he wants is you have a child of the living God, my heavenly father mentality is what he wants us to have. Because that's where the abundance of his love flows, and that's where the abundance of ministry flows. We could go into 1 John 4 and see the long list, the relationship that John, the beloved, talks about when he's talking about the love of God. The, the, the relationship is such that actually we're meant to be demonstrating that love. And only to the proportion that we've received it will we demonstrate it. Well, then we have to say sometimes, golly, my heart must be impoverished. You know, because... I don't think I love that person, and I'm not even concerned if they know Daddy God or not. And so I have to examine my own heart and say, well, just what's my love tank like? You know that your heart is a love tank, right? And that God will fill up your love tank. Well, sometimes your love tank gets kind of empty, right? And you have to come back to the divine resource, your heavenly Father, who pours his love into your heart, not because you're his servant, his subject, or his slave, he pours his love into your heart because you're his child. And that love transforms us, and it transforms the world around us. Why child? Access. Well, Noah. Ephesians 2, 17 to 19. Yay. <laughs> well done. I got an access lot. <laughs> I only asked him for the scriptures. This boy will go a long way. Until he... <laughs> Can we get the scripture then, or do we just get the word? <laughs> Ephesians 2, 17 to 19, why did God redeem us as children when he could have redeemed us as servants, subjects, or slaves? And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access, see, by one spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Being redeemed as a child gives us access to the Father's heart. Servants and subjects and slaves don't get that, do they? They don't get access to the Father's heart. Assurance. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. There we go. Hebrews 10, 19-23. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus... By a new and living way through the way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh. 
and having a high priest over the house of God, I'm hoping the assurance word is going to come up, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. See, being redeemed as a child gives us access, gives us assurance, and it gives us authority. Right? Servants don't necessarily have authority. Subjects don't. Slaves don't have authority. But children of God have authority in the kingdom. Look at this. Matthew 16, 18 to 19. And also I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. See, the gates of Hades can't prevail against you as a child of God. But it might prevail against you if you've got a servant, subject, or slave mentality. The gates of hell will come along and prevail against you, but not when you're a child of God. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. How many of you know that's authority? Right? It's authority that's given to children. Authority that's given to children of our heavenly Father. Don't try and get it any other way. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. It's not a prize. It's not a wage. Adoption. Why are we redeemed as children? Look at this one. I told you I would get four E's out of this, right? Did I get four E's? <laughs> Adoption. Romans eight fourteen and 17, and I keep referring to this. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Is that it? I think that's it, yeah. Amen? Amen to that. Well, let me ask you a question then. Would you like to be uh, redeemed back into the family of God as a servant, a subject, a slave, or a child? Yeah, I think I'd prefer that myself comes with all sorts of perks and privileges yes perks and privileges that slaves and subjects and servants don't get Oof! i tell you i'm getting puffed up again not in a carnal sense as i might say my daddy god loves me i'm just going to reach up and hold his hand my daddy god loves me my daddy loves me and that's what I just keep coming back to. And it's that one conviction and that one certainty and that one confidence that will take you through everything that comes your way in life, be it good, bad, ugly, or beautiful. Not just, good, not just uh, bad and ugly, but good and beautiful. Believe me, you can get terrible things happen to you where you really need to know that you're a child of God. You can have wonderful things happen to you and you better know that you're a child of God. Oh, I didn't expect that. that that's, that's interesting, right, Scotty? We have a saying in my house. My kids say it. It's so funny when your kids say what you've been saying. It's almost like they're listening. <laughs> when you're poked, prodded, or punched. And my wife added another P to that. Praised. When you're poked, prodded, or punched, is it the perfume of Christ that comes out of you? That's what difficult situations are about. What aroma are you going to release into the world? Is it, I'm a child of God, perfume? Yeah. You know you have an aroma about you, like, right? Oh, my poor darling wife, we sat in church last week, and this lady had that perfume on that's got mostly chemicals in it. She was puking within two minutes. She had to go and sit somewhere. But what do you say? You love somebody. You can't say, excuse me, your perfume is mostly chemical, and my wife's puking. I mean, you know... <laughs> So we have, to act, we have to act like children of God. <laughs> and so she sat there and I went like this. I was put your fingers on your nostrils like that. <laughs> I mean, imagine going, having to go to church and because of other children of God, you have to put your fingers on your nostrils like this. You might know that, right? But there is, there is a perfume called, called Georgia. Do you remember it? From in the 80s. No, you weren't even alive then, were you? None of you. Somebody must have been alive in the 80s. No? What are you shaking your head for? Are you sure? <laughs> You haven't. No, it was taken off the market because it was making people throw up. And my wife is so sensitive. I mean, who would design a perfume that makes people throw up? It's kind of, it's kind of counterproductive, right? But guess what? We have a perfume. You don't think I was just trying to make you laugh, right? We have a perfume. It's called the aroma of Christ. 
And as we, to a dying generation, by the way, is that next line, Scotty, isn't it right? You know I'm the only person in the world that calls him Scotty. I don't even know Miss Heather calls him Scotty. <laughs> Actually, he loves me so much, he doesn't even tell me that he doesn't like me calling him Scotty. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> He's full of love. You know your pastor is extraordinarily full of love, right? Amen. Go on. Tell you later. What perfume are you wearing? Is it, I'm a child of God perfume? Or is it mostly chemical and makes people sick? And long after you're gone, they're like, I didn't like the aroma of that. Come on, you must have been in somebody's company where you're like, you didn't like their aftershave or their perfume. We're like that sometimes. When you're poked, prodded, or punched, or praised, what is the perfume that comes out of you? That's what it's about, folks. My wife added that last pee on there, by the way. Can I have a pee, please, Bob? You have that? Because I used to say to her, poked, prodded, or punched, what's the perfume coming out of you? The aroma of Christ. And she said, do you know what? It's not just the bad things that create perfume in you. The good things can as well. Right? Have I labored that? Did I belabor that? I just thought I was doing well. I just... <laughs> okay. Ooh. Yes, Lord Jesus. Don't you love the perfume of Christ? Can't you tell when he's in the room? I mean, I love the perfume of Christ. Yeah, it's so beautiful, Lord. And that is what we are. But guess what? The world doesn't know us because it doesn't know him. I was just sorry, I've got something taken away at the back of my mind and I'm trying to fit it in. When the prodigal son came to his senses, he said, I'm going to go home and ask my father if I can be a child in the house. No. No, he said, I'm going to go home and ask if I can be a servant. And for the first time just yesterday, Todd, I was thinking, I wonder if he heard his father before he saw him. Why do we, we, I mean, it's easy to assume, right, that the prodigal sons come to his senses, I hate the way I'm living, I was much better off in my father's house. By the way, you're always much better off in your father's house, right? Your heavenly father's house. I'm going to go home. And, I'm going, and he's practicing as he's going along the road, getting nearer to his house. I'm not, I'll, I'll come back as a servant, Father. I'll come back as a servant. You don't come back as a servant, by the way. Okay? And somewhere in the distance he heard, My son, my son, my son, my son, my son. That's what the scriptures tell us, how the Father greets him. The Father sees him in the distance and asks to submit to you. That I wonder if he heard his Father before he saw him. That's how we're greeted in the kingdom of God when we embrace the Father heart for us. Why does the world not know him and therefore doesn't know us? Do you agree with that, by the way, that the world doesn't know that you're a child of God, doesn't kind of get it, don't recognize it, don't... Because that's what the Apostle Paul says. Look, 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 Look at these three reasons why the world does not know us and does not know him. John 17, 25. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these that you have sent me to. Is that it? What's the, okay. Oh, I know what it is. I got it in another version. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these that you have revealed to me. Okay, the world doesn't know him, but guess what? We know him, and we were once part of the world, were we not? So shouldn't that encourage us and edify us to know that actually you can shift from being a worldling, you know what worldlings are, right? People of the world, to being (laughs) people of the word, right? The living word, the logos, the divine rationale behind everything. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. We have a choice. The world doesn't know him, and therefore they don't know us. Look at 1 Corinthians 1, 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Okay? That word there can can be translated world. For since in the wisdom of God, the, the world through God did not know God. It pleases God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. The world doesn't know God, and the world wants to dictate, by the way, how it comes to God. 
Have you noticed that? The world is quite happy to dictate to you how you can come to God. Don't tell them about coming to God as a child, because that involves sorrow for sin and repentance and being transformed and made into a new creature. They don't want that journey. Much of the world refuses to do it God's way. Look what it says here in 2 Corinthians 4.4. We're looking at just three reasons why the world doesn't know him. Look at this scripture. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded. You know the world has a God, right? Whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. They've been blinded by the God of this age. And therefore they don't know him and they're reaping. You know this, that your unbelief can be the judgment of your whole life's decisions. So you're already living out the judgment for your unbelief. I've took a long time thinking about this. You know, it says in the scriptures, those that God foreknew, he predestined to be saved, to be transformed into the likeness of his son. Those he foreknew. God not only knows, foreknows those who are predestined to save, be saved, he knows those who their whole life will deny him, refuse him, and reject him. I mean, that's just the sovereignty of God. Where we go with that is interesting. So I'm thinking sometimes the cycle of unbelief in a person's life is just literally almost the judgment of how they're going to say no to God all their life. But it can be broken. You know that, right? We are all living examples of how we can be set free from our unbelief. I pray for my family. I have a beautiful brother. His name's Shane. He's a much nicer person than me. Thank you. <laughs> but he is. He's the kind of person you'd want as a neighbor. You know, you go on a holiday and say, Shane, here's my keys. Feed the dog. Look after my cat. And you, you wouldn't think again for two, for two weeks that you're away if you get two weeks holiday. What do you guys say? Vacation? So I ask myself the question, don't you? How is it that I responded so powerfully to become authentically saved, and 35 years later I'm still authentically saved? That's a really important sign that you're authentically saved, by the way. Time, duration, enduring until the end, those that will be saved. Scotty, where the heck was I going with this? So my brother is much nicer than me. I can't even speak to him about Jesus. The God of this age has blinded his mind. Like he'll say to me, so what did you do at the weekend? I said, well, I went to church. Don't start. Don't start. That's what he, I mean, that's not normal, right? Something's happened to him because if he's so confident about his unbelief, I should be able to say, well, I went to church on Sunday and had a great time with fellowship of the believers. But he won't let me because the God of this age has blinded him. And he doesn't, he doesn't recognize God, and therefore he can't recognize that I'm a child of God. But the reality is, those who were once in darkness have seen a great light. And every one of us can say that we were once in darkness, and we saw a great light. Isn't that what Jesus said? I am the light of the world. He who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And a few verses later, he said, by the way, I've made you the light of the world. You're a city on a hill. It's bright. That's what happens when you're a child of God. Stop. Let's not look to the world. What time did you say, Scotty? 11.15, Scotty, or 11.20 if I was enjoying myself. <laughs> Didn't you? you, did, you yeah. yeah, you did, you did. <laughs> All right. I, I'm going to go for 11.20 because I'm really enjoying myself. <laughs> Who wouldn't, right? right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stop appealing to the world to affirm us, you know? We don't appeal to a system that doesn't recognize our our Heavenly Father. Technically and theologically we say no, but we do. We do it all the time experientially. We're always looking to the world to affirm us, tell us who we are, identify us. Most of the time we want what the world has. We want the same things that the world wants. And sometimes... You, you can't walk along a street and pick out the Christians and the worldlings. I mean, who, how? You know? And I was, I was so interested in what John the Beloved writes earlier on in chapter 2 when he says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If you do, the love of the Father is not in you. 
Like, whoa, yay, whoa. This is John, the beloved, who told us in John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is John, the beloved, who's telling us all through this epistle, 1 John, especially in chapter 4, love with the love that God pours into you, into your love tank, pour out the same love, transform through love, transform all of your ugly situations through the love of God. But by the way, don't love the world or anything in the world, because if you do, the love of God is not in you. Oh, is, there's, that, there's that silence thing. Preachers know what that is, by the way. We know <laughs> Just give the Lord a few more seconds. He's much better at this than I am, by the way. You may have noticed. <laughs> I think, then, there is a legitimate way of loving the world, and there is an illegitimate way of loving the world. And I put it to you that we get confused about that. And I put it to you that there are times when we are loving the world in a way we shouldn't. And there are times when we're not loving the world in a way we should. And I believe that as children of God, we can know that distinction. We don't love the world's system. We don't love the world's efforts to conform the church. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a, you know that the world wants, is on a mission to conform the church, right? We're meant to be on a mission to conform our culture. Well, guess what? Culture's on a mission to conform the church. You didn't notice that in the last year or so? How did you feel when the government told you you are an unessential service? Do you know what an offense that was? Do you know how bold that was of a secular, carnal government to tell the church that it is an unessential service? Whilst opening up abortion clinics, casinos, home depots. We should have been really indignant at that, friends. But you know what? We're such wonderful conformists. Romans 13, brother. Romans 13, Scotty. You know Romans 13? Obey your government because God's placed that authority over you. Mind that scripture's misunderstood. We don't allow the world that doesn't know us and doesn't recognize him to define us. Tell us who we are. Tell us what our purpose is. We don't live under the word of the government. We live under the word of the Lord who tells us that we're the light of the world, that we're on a mission, <laughs> a mission for God. Sorry, I was looking for my sunglasses. We're on a mission for God, right? We're missionaries, reaching out with the Father's love. And I put it to you that we have to learn how to love the world legitimately and not love the world illegitimately. That's the way the world toys with us. That's what the world says. Be like me, touch me, want me, taste me, be me. Have you watched the commercials on TV? Oh, I have a mute button. I have a mute button on my control. And every time the commercials come on, I've learned precisely to hit the mute button. And sometimes I can even black out the screen. But then I have to time. I end up missing some of my program. But I miss what the world has to say. Right? You need to miss what the world has to say. Okay. And lastly, and I have like one minute to encapsulate two verses, Scotty. 1 John 3, 2 and 3. And these are wonderful verses. Shall we put them up, Noah? Thank you. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Is. There's another one after that, isn't there? And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. And I was saying, Lord, I'm going to be pushing my time frame at this point. Could you encapsulate that for me? And he did. He encapsulated it for me. And he spoke this right into my heart. You don't have to be perfect. You will be made perfect in heaven. However, reach into eternity now and pull your perfection towards you. Yeah? Isn't it awesome to know that you don't have to be perfect? Isn't it awesome to know that when he appears, or you appear before him, you will be, made, you will be perfected, right? Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he says, your mortality will be swallowed up with immortality, and we will be made like him. In the twinkling of an eye, we will be made like him. But guess what? You can reach into eternity because he says, I've got to finish. Okay, Lord. 
You don't have to be perfect. You will be made perfect in heaven. However, reach into eternity now and pull your perfection towards you. God wants you to know heaven on earth, right? He really does. When you pray, say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, by the way, when he said, when you pray, say, our Father who art in heaven. Thank you. Thank you for letting me share with you. And uh, uh, as I say, it's my first time in two years. And it was a little bit like getting back on a bike, but I felt a bit wobbly at times. You know, it was like, I, was, I used to be better at this. <laughs> We're going to pray together. And uh, uh, do we get music at this time or something, Scotty? Or um, where's that sweet, sweet lady? Miss Amy. Calling on Miss Amy. Send for a musician. Isn't that what Saul said? Send for a, a maestro. Send for a musician. My soul is vexed. And the musician came and the spirits left him. Remember that? Because he was being tormented. Send for a musician. For my soul is vexed. And the musician came and played and the demons lifted from Saul, King Saul. So not su- suggesting that any of us have demons, but m- music is a wonderful gift from the Lord. And when it's anointed... We'll be touched by Father God. I hope, I hope somehow I've imparted something this morning. And I'm, I'm sure I'm not as regular as I should be, but you know what? God loves irregular people. My wife says, perhaps the irregular ones are the regular ones. <laughs> I'm like, yay, I must be really regular. <laughs> so play something sweet for us, ma'am. And... Right, this is where we receive. Let's receive, folks. We receive at this moment the revelation that the Lord gave you this morning. Will you ask him to multiply that right now into your hearts? Put it in your heart like a a seed that's going to grow, bear fruit. Heavenly Father. Yes, Lord. There's a time in my life when my father, my heavenly father told me to go and find my natural father, by the way. And I went and found him. And I've loved him like a father loves a son for 30 years. It's so strange. So strange that the father who abandoned me, my heavenly father, persuaded me to go and find him. And now, I've, now I have a father's heart towards him. I'm telling you that you can have a father's heart to a father that's abandoned you. I'm telling you that you can have a father's heart to someone who didn't love you the way you wanted to be loved. Let him off the hook, will you please? Let him off the hook. Come on, child of God child of God when your heart's full of the father's heart and the father's love John said in the next chapter we should be demonstrating and displaying that the same way why do we act differently just to what we say we've received okay reach into eternity and pull your perfection towards you now the purity that the Lord has for you to love with the love that he has everything else is lesser Lord, Father God, we ask you to pour your love into our hearts right now. Set the captives free, Lord. If we haven't loved with your love, we apologize. Fill up our love tanks, Lord. We're asking you to fill up our love tanks with your love. Heavenly Father, we don't want to be part of the tension and the stress. Lord, we want to be the solution to it. Fill us with your love that we're overflowing as we walk around. We're splashing around with the love of God liberally, almost carelessly, just splashing the love of God around. Some folks here, they've been hurt. They've been hurt by folks. They've been hurt by their natural daddies. You wanted all your life to be able to hold his hand and say, my daddy loves me. Well, guess what? Just reach up your hand to your heavenly father. Reach up your hand to your heavenly father and say, my daddy loves me. That'll bring you release right now and freedom. My daddy loves me. Dare we say it? My daddy God loves me. And I vow this morning forth to love with that heavenly love. The love that redeemed me. The love that made a difference for me. I'm going to love with that love. Amen. In the precious name of Jesus. We praise you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, folks. 
Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.